Hello, and welcome to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael, the podcast formerly known as Trap Queen of Katwe. It's a cultural quiz show, and so much more. I'm Tony, and this is Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello, Tony. How are you? I'm good. I uh, was introduced to a new a product called PB2 today. Have you ever heard of this? PB2? Go yeah. On. As in peanut butter 2. My boss brought it for me, uh, and he said that it's a healthier iteration of peanut butter. It's a powdered form uh, that you mix with water or sprinkle on fruit, and yeah, you get all the joy of peanut butter without without the majority of the fat. Interesting. Um, the thing you can't do with it is eat it by the spoonful, which is usually how I eat peanut butter at work. So it's it's virtually worthless to me. I'm having a really hard time picturing this, Austin. Can you sort of use your words to put an image in my head? You've the the word you used is powder. Yeah, it's kind of got the consistency of of sand. Huh. Uh, if sand kind of got oily and coated the inside of your mouth when it when it got into your mouth, it's not very pleasant yet. Yeah. It's yeah. not good on its own. I think it would be good mixed into a smoothie or. You know, sprinkle some into a, a Thanksgiving perhaps, gravy. Perhaps some Soylent, uh, maybe? Some Soylent, yes. Green or otherwise. Right. Uh, I, too, had a new food stuff this week, which you actually introduced me to. I had never had Ben & Jerry's half-baked ice cream before. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Was really and good. Uh, when we had it together, it had ostensibly totally thawed out and then refroze in my kind of shitty freezer right it was um, not in its finest form and i still enjoyed it you still enjoyed it and but this time you got it on your own and it was in its its final form <laughs> and was there a marked difference between yours and mine yeah, i mean yeah i mean it was there's definitely a textural difference flavor wise very similar but texture wise very different hmm. what surprised me about half-baked was i went into it this being the first time i had it with you I went into it thinking that it was a cookie dough ice cream. And I don't love cookie dough ice cream. Uh. And you can understand why I would think that. Because it's half-baked and cookie dough half-baked. Right. Cookie dough is usually raw. Well, right. But if you were trying to come up with a clever pun for the title of a cookie dough ice cream, perhaps... Right. And a a little stoner... A little 420 humor in there? Yeah. Okay, so the brownie was a welcome surprise then. A huge and welcome surprise. Two thumbs up for me. Well, good. Uh, This episode has been sponsored by Ben & Jerry's. Also Um, by PB2. Also by PB2. We're handling a lot of foods this week. (laughs) Austin, the theme of this week's episode is The King's Game. Hmm. In reference to chess, because the world championship of chess... Just wrapped up. The King's Game comes from. Well, I don't know if it, I don't know if it originates from this book title, but there's an old German book called Chess or the King's Game. Uh, das Das Koenig something. Das Das King's Game, yeah. Das King Das Sarah Koenig. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, the World Championship of Chess just wrapped up. So I thought it would be appropriate to. Bring chess to the limelight in the form of our world. Widely podcast. listened to, yeah. Widely listened to podcast. Right. 
So I, I thought we would begin by trying to come up with some people who are famous for things that are not chess, but who did play chess hmm. in their time. I, I, I tried to come up with chess-themed hints for all of them. Some of them are a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to hit you with. I'm going to hit you with my first one, which is probably my favorite. This is a man who apparently loved chess and was good at it. Like he, prior to becoming a movie star, would like hustle chess in parks. He is in a movie called The African Queen, which is a chess piece. A chess Queen. piece. Yes. yes, everyone knows the African can move anywhere on the board. Right. He is also famous for being in the genre film noir. And noir is French for black, which is the color of half the pieces in a chessboard. And he is in a movie called Casablanca. And Blanca <gasps> means white, which is the color of the other half of the chess pieces on the board. And Casa means board. Mikasa Sukasa is my board. My board is your board. If I'm bored, you're bored. Right. If I'm bored, you're bored, we should play some chess, is a famous wow. Spanish saying. Wow, that's a very tight, pithy clue. Thanks, dude. It's got I, it. That put a, I, I have to admit, I, it, I took a lot more effort than it. It seems, it seems effortless right now. It seems I'm like an Olympic, I'm an Olympic athlete. I make it look easy, but it really right. did take some effort. You're the Weezer of, of, of podcast question, trivia question hosting. Yes. Um, Humphrey Bogart. Yes, nice work. Yeah, like I said, he was uh, he was very good at chess. He he even in- insisted on there being a chess scene in Casablanca because he just he liked chess so much and he thought it would be fitting for the character. He was a worldly man. He was. Uh, What's his name in the movie? Oh, is boy. he Casablanca? Yeah, his I think his name is his character's name is Rick, and then you know if we're being totally honest and not joking, I think Casablanca is the city. Uh, where the mm-hmm. where it takes place, and he runs a gym joint. The city uh, in English would be known as Whiteboard. The next person, he was an artist and took a break from doing art. He said, "Art, I've had enough of you. I'm going to play chess for a while." So he played chess for a few years. You're probably going to need more than the chess-related clue for this one, but I'll give you the chess-related clue first. He did paint a painting called "Portrait of Chess Players." Which is a uh, cubist painting, and cubist. if you know more about art than me, you might know some famous cubist painters, but perhaps not. Okay, it is a cubist painting it. of uh, overlapping frames, and yeah, it's it's sort of a blur of a painting of his two bl- brothers playing chess. Another, two brothers. Another small hint there is that it has a French title, which I- I'm going to pronounce correctly right now. <laughs> so that's the um, French title. Oh, so the only cubist that springs to mind is, uh, I think Picasso had uh, at least an era where he, he dabbled in cubism. He did too, although he's not French. Right. So that's, so I'm glad you gave me that last clue because it, uh, it threw me off. It saved you the embarrassment of saying Picasso. It did. I don't know if I can name another cubist. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you some of his other more famous work, and you might be able to come up with it. One okay. of them is simply entitled "The Fountain," and it is a urinal. The and fountain. That's all it is. It's it's Darren Aronofsky. That is not correct. 
Is there some? Is that? Is there like some Darren Aronofsky reference to? Oh, the fountain is a movie yeah, that he directed. Yeah, it was a stretch. Thank you, and you you got to it yeah, eventually. I, did. I what happened there was I didn't give you enough credit, and you know what happens when I don't give you enough credit? I make an ass out of you and me. Oh, uh, his yeah. other famous work <laughs> is called L H O O Q, which is a painting of the Mona Lisa with a mustache and a beard. Like, drawn over it. Mustache and a beard drawn over it? Yeah, I'm thoroughly stumped. It's all right. Uh, his name is Marcel Duchamp. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, yes, he is a famous Cubist artist. But, yeah, like I said, he took a break from art and wanted to play chess for a while. And uh, how fitting that he was a Cubist, because what shape are the squares on a chessboard? What is a square but a two-dimensional cube, Austin? You're right. I was looking for cube. You nailed it. The next person, the next chess player, is... Uh, here's here's the chess-related clue for him. Computers can defeat humans. One might say that a computer that plays chess is a form of a robot, and this person invented the term robotics. Invented the term robotics? Yeah. My gut wants to say, no, it's not Isaac Asimov. Oh, Austin, go with your stupid, brilliant is gut. Is that who it, he it coined is. it? He coined the term robotics. Fascinating. So robots, there wasn't really a study, a field of, of robot when he was writing, and, and they just kind of picked that up, huh? Well, either that or they, there was a field and there just wasn't a name for it. Like they just there there was people were studying it, but they just never had conferences where they gathered and 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 hmm. under one banner and said that we are are studiers of robots. <laughs> That'd be a fun conference to go to. Wow! So uh, was that in was that in the 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 short story I Robot? Is that when it was first? It, it was uh, I, it was probably even earlier than that. I, I don't know yeah, exactly when it was, when it was coined as they use, and I don't know. Here's, here's, a, here's a good word for new words. Neologism. Neologism. I don't know when he came up with that neologism. And who came up with the word neologism? Oh, man. That's, Can you imagine? That's taking, those, these are great moments in history, Austin. It is, it is the, the founding of the Roman Empire. It is the assassination of... Jesse uh, James by... Jesse James by the cowards... Uh, uh, Tom, Tom Ford, Robert Ford, uh, Henry Ford, and the invention of the word neologism. Those are the three. Those We're are done. The three big moments in history. According to Isaac uh, Asimov's autobiography, he was not very good at chess. Uh, a quote from his biography, In the years that followed, I discovered that everyone beat me, regardless of race, color, or religion. I was simply the most appallingly bad chess player who ever lived, and as time went on, I just stopped playing chess. <laughs> Which I thought is sort of a sweet, sort of a sweet thing for such a skilled and prolific man to admit a shortcoming as a human being. Yeah, it's nice. My favorite Isaac Isaac Asimov quote is, "Violence is the last refuge of the incompetent." Huh. Which I imagine a lot of a lot of high school freshmen uh, mid swirly. Have, have, have yelled that out, or mid, mid-wedgie. <laughs> yes, quoting Isaac Asimov is the last refuge of the nerd. 
right. is, is a <laughs> yeah. quote that I just made up. That's its uh, that's its mirror. That's its brother quote. <laughs> um, the next person is a director, and in one of his films, a computer plays a human in a game of chess. He's a director. And what's one of his more, films. Austin, what's more is that the chess scene is one of the first scenes in which you are able to detect what might be called a weakness or a, maybe not a weakness, but a imperfection or a sort of deviance on the part of the computer. Deviance. Yeah. So is this a movie about chess? It is not. No, it is the chess scene. There is only one scene dedicated to chess. And in fact, even if you had seen the movie, you might not remember the chess scene because the movie is itself quite long and contains many other scenes. Quite long, many other scenes, computer chess. Mm -hmm. You know, my gut saying Stanley Kubrick. Oh, Austin, you should just put your gut on the mic because Stanley Kubrick is the director that I was referring to. Yes, Hot dog. Eyes wide shut. uh, One of the astronauts, I can't remember actually which one of the astronauts, but Hal and one of the astronauts do play a game of chess. And it's an early sign of his deviance because after the astronaut makes a move, a a bad move, Hal calls him out and says, oh, you should have done this and then this and then this. But one of the moves that Hal says he could do is actually an illegal move. And he says that he can beat the human. I think he says he can beat the human in two moves, but he could actually, it would actually take him four moves to beat the human or something like that. But the point being that Hal sort of lies to overstate the strength of his position, which, mm, which, which ends up being his downfall. Which, yeah, in a lot it's, of ways. It's, an, it's an interesting little hint because unless you're watching very, very closely and unless you happen to know quite a bit about the rules of chess to know that what, how good of a clue it is. Man, that is. We knew the guy paid attention to detail, mm-hmm. but wow, how amazing to have a little in-joke in there. Not a, not a joke, but a reference. A foreshadowing? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. that's good. Uh, have you seen this movie, Tony? Have I seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yes, I have. Yes. Did you know? You want to know another quick little detail about that movie, and probably my favorite detail about the movie, actually. Can um, you tell me this fact in the form of a trivia question? Man, let me try to just uh, yeah wheel something up on the spot. Yeah, Austin, it's time for you to learn how hard this is. How about I try to string you along? Just, just a second, Austin. You have some time to think because my dog just pulled my bath mat out of my bathroom, so I'm going to quick uh, prevent him from ripping that up, so you have some time to think. Okay, I'll think. Uh, I'll see you in a second. Okay, I've returned. Beautiful. Okay, uh, this isn't going to be that that great, but uh, I'll try to ask in the form of a question. All right, hit me. So, you know, the three acts of the movie are kind of laid out in terms of when a race encounters uh, the monolith, mm-hmm. the big black triangle, and when they encounter the monolith... Austin, I don't know if this was your trivia question, but it is not a triangle. It's a big, it's a big rectangle. I said, didn't I say a rectangle? Pretty sure you said triangle. Oh, no. Uh, edit that in post. I will. 
You won't. I won't. Um, so, uh, yeah, when they encounter the big rectangle, it, it, it jumps ahead, sometimes millennia, kind of heralding a new step in human evolution. I'm with you so far. Um, which is kind of spelled out more in the books, but it's, it's almost entirely visual. So, you know, when, uh, when the monkeys touch the monolith, uh, they throw the bone up in the air and it turns into a space station. It kind of jump cuts into the space age. And then when they encounter it again on the moon, uh, it jumps into interstellar travel, which is far off in the future. So it's these different ages of evolution. And the music they play, which has become iconic with that film, is from a symphony, I believe by Richard Strauss, who wrote this symphony as an adaption of a famous book about a new age in human evolution. Strauss was German, so that should help you know what book it is. But do you know what the book uh, that the symphony was based on? off of for that that music holy guacamole austin listen you're you know what you should just take over this podcast yourself you should be the trivia master and your gut should answer the questions because that is a heck of a question come on i'm blushing so let me tell you what i know about the music i believe that the song is called thus spoke zarathustra yes you're right you're correct yeah that's the whole that's the name of symphony so it's the first piece from uh, thus spoke or also Sprock yes. Zarathustra. And do you know who wrote the book also Sprock Zarathustra? I have just the teeniest little inkling that it is Nietzsche? Yes! Oh, Friedrich man. Nietzsche! Tony, great what a, guess. What an absolute absolute Hail Mary on my part. Yeah. Just uh we really got a rhythm going. You want to just call it here? Let's just... Awesome. This has been 26 charming minutes with you. I think we're ready to call it a day. I think it's over. Uh, um, now, Austin, wow. I, do notice, Great guess. I do notice that sort of under your breath, you corrected my pronunciation. Is, is, how, do you, how, does, how, does a, how does a German... How does a German sprock the word Nietzsche or Nietzsche or Nietzsche? I only know how my continental philosophy professor pronounced it, and that was Nietzsche. Okay. I think up to that point, I said Nietzsche. Okay. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily correcting you as much as I was parroting your answer to confirm that it was correct with my own pronunciation. All right. So it could go either way. But that's a great guess. And I love that fact about that movie. That's it's great. so tight. It's really it's good. It's so tight. Uh, hey, Austin, it's been good sprocking with you. <laughs> All right, uh, I have just a few more people who are famous for things other than chess, but who still play chess. For this fella, I don't have a chess-related clue, but it will shock you to hear <gasps> that this jock plays chess. Will shock now, Austin, me. did you hear which words I was emphasizing there? I'll say it again. It will shock you to hear that this jock plays chess. Howard Stern. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. I don't think I've. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever listened to Howard Stern. No, neither have I. Um, I think it's funny that we've never listened to him. Although our uh, our whole show and recording style is deeply rooted in the Stern school of of audio recording. Yeah, I do view as much as I as much as I have never listened to him. I do view everything we do as an homage to him. Right. 
Uh, he is my hero, although I've never consulted a primary source. It's all been through the writings of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on my on on Skype, your contact image is is just a picture of Howard Stern. So that as as I'm recording, it, I'm I'm just looking at Howard Stern. I I pretend you're him. And I have a little shrine here set up to you. So there's a photo of you and uh, and on your phone, clearly visible in the picture is a picture of Howard Stern. Yeah. And you're saying Bob, you're saying Baba Booey. <laughs> I yeah. think he says. <laughs> yeah, apparently he was trained by a chess master and t- did talk about it on a show for a while and became quite good. I mean, he achieved a well, let me back up a little bit, Austin. Chess players have what is known as an ELO ranking, which is a number that indicates how basically how how good you are it increases when you win games and decreases when you lose games and it's meant to give a probability when you compare two players numbers it's meant to give a probability of who is going to win so for instance a a grandmaster needs an elo ranking of 2500 and then has some other tournament things that they need to achieve an international master needs to have an elo ranking of i think 2400 with a few other conditions a typical club player has a ranking of like 1500 maybe and i think that's about what howard stern got and that's i mean that's higher than me not that i'm not that i'm like a, a chess genius but i can confidently say that howard stern is better at chess than i am um, how do you determine, as a layman, as a layperson, how do you determine your ELO ranking? You have to play games against ranked people. There's really no... Without playing games, there's, you can't just like look at a person and... And assess. Assess. Right. The idea it's is, not, you know... It's you, not like you, a sorting hat. It is not, no, unfortunately, it's not a sorting hat. Although that would be adorable if they had like a little... A little hat that was shaped like the like a bishop, like the top Aww. of a bishop, and you put it on your head, and it would just scream your elo. So a hat that's shaped like the a penis. <laughs> yeah, it would be, uh, yeah, you're basically. right. It would be a bit it would be a bit phallic. Perhaps that's why it doesn't exist. Uh, all bachelor all bachelorette parties are, are ranked <laughs> chess players. Yeah. I've got those hats on. Yeah, women women tend to know their elo score very well. Mary did that is. <laughs> the the last two people. That I want to talk about. One of them, I have a a chess themed clue. The other one, I don't. But it is it is an unusual couple that for <laughs> approximately like fifteen minutes in two thousand ten were the most unusual couple in entertainment. The first person requires a little bit of backstory again <laughs> to make the chess clue work. So here's here's the backstory. There is a type of chess called bullet chess in which each player has only one minute to make all of their moves for the entirety of the game so it's a very quick very quick game oh one minute total one minute total yes for every single one of their moves so you just i mean you're just making moves you're not thinking about it you're just wow it's very fast it's fun to watch so keep that in mind (laughs) Okay, that's, I got it. Bullet. That's the backstory. That's the exposition for this clue. The, Bullet chess. The main plot of this clue is that the man in this couple is a singer in a band, and that band has a song that has the word "bullet" in the title. Oh, 
Well, you led me right to it. It's Billy Corgan, right? Oh wow, dude! How good is that? I mean, our shared—I mean, it's our shared love of of bull with butterfly wings. Yes, and your great clue giving. Thank you. Today, I learned that the band is not called Smashing Pumpkins; they're called The Smashing Pumpkins. (sighs) Which, Um, for me, is a huge revelation because, in my mind, as I was thinking of them as Smashing Pumpkins, I was thinking of smashing as a verb, as in. Oh. However, smashing right. is also a British maybe colloquialism for like something that's really cool like oh, smashing. smashing. So I wonder if but they're from uh they're from Lombard, I think. Yeah, I mean Americans like a, are Americans are still yeah, allowed, they're allowed to use Anglophiles. Yeah. yeah. It was just it was just a thought. I I'm, I'm not trying to propose that that is like this secret i'm not this isn't like the da vinci code where i've I've broken the i've broken the clue behind the band name it's just a thought well i like the fact that you uh you you keep track of the part of speech uh in a band's name that's that's a level of commitment that i don't usually have austin the second half of the couple is a woman it is a heterosexual couple well, I think wasn't there a phase where Billy dated Jessica Simpson? Yup. There we go. That's that is the woman about whom I speak. Gosh, can you imagine those two together? I have a lot of trouble imagining that, and I have even more trouble imagining them playing chess together. Uh, but Austin, those are just preconceived notions. Right. Those are uh, notions that are conceived pre. Our next category is chess in movies. The first chess game in movies that I would like to talk about is a little uh, little game called Wizard's Chess. You know, this is also a chess game in the book. However, in the film version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone at the end, we actually get to see a game of chess played out. And that game of chess was actually designed like the... The moves were picked by international master Jeremy Silman. Really? Yeah, which I think is kind of cool. He writes a lot of. I have, you know, I have a book by him. He writes a lot, and in writing about uh, his opportunity to design this chess game, he listed out one, two, three, four, five gripes that he has with movie chess scenes. So would you like to posit some guesses as to what his gripes are with movie chess scenes? What his gripes are with movie chess scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about chess, but I don't know that... Uh, so so you get to the end of these games in, in film where one character says, checkmate, and then the game's over. That's not a super common occurrence, is it? You have touched on something that he brought up. I will clarify... Yes, a, please a, do. A checkmate is in. Oh my goodness, my dog is trying to eat a computer cord right now. I gotta grab, grab him. Go for it. Coach, you may not eat computer cords. Play with your toys. Sorry, give I'm him, back. Give him his busy bee. <laughs> it's in the crate. <laughs> so a, a checkmate is cut and dry insofar as. When you arrive at the position on the board where the king is in check and has no legal moves that can get him out of check, the game is over, and that is a checkmate. However, in real games of chess, 
there are two things that, uh, the, the two issues that come up. The first is pretty often you see people resign prior to the checkmate actually occurring because it's pretty obvious, especially to good players, that the checkmate is inevitable. So you will see stronger players just, you know, when they're very obviously losing, they will just resign, and that's sort of the sort of the noble way to go down. The second point mm. of order is, even if the game does go to checkmate, good players will pretty much never actually say the word checkmate. Like, like they will move, and their opponent, who is also a pretty good chess player, will be able to recognize that they are in checkmate. So there's there's no like. You don't, you just, it's not that kind of yeah. twist of the knife, that exactly. bratty checkmate. Saying checkmate is the last refuge of the incompetent. Yes, exactly right. Um, yeah, so that is, that is one of the gripes that he had. Uh, another gripe that he had, and this is uh, some of his gripes are a little, a little uh, picky, but another gripe that he had is that chessboards are very often placed incorrectly meaning they will be rotated 90 degrees from their proper orientation. Oh, to look more like a checkerboard? Because that's what people are used to? Um, n- no, it's, 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 it, li- it literally is, is just a mistake. It just is, <laughs> they don't know that... No intention. Just... Yes, they don't know that the A1 square should be a, a dark square, and so they just rotate the board. And you know, pretty often you'll see the king and the queen reverse positions. So that is, that's a gripe that he had. Another gripe that he has is that the actors rarely move the pieces correctly, meaning not, not that they're making illegal moves, but he says, a real chess player doesn't push the piece meekly forward. He grabs the sucker and smashes it down on a square, <laughs> which is probably an overstatement, but it's the point across. Right. His other two gripes are he complains that they don't, in movies, use the proper names of named openings or the proper names of real chess players. He complains that movie scripts include some bastardized Russian names. Um, Kalashnikov. <laughs> right. Kermitsov. <laughs> yeah. oh, this is the old, this is the old Kalashnikov Tolstoy opening from 1937. <laughs> this is the Lolita. <laughs> yeah, so he... Uh, the Lolita opening is, is where a young pawn lures a bishop out to the fringes of the board and then just destroys him <laughs> right. mentally destroys him from the inside yeah doesn't actually capture him just lets him be, lets him fall apart from the inside right <laughs> he uh like i said he he did he did play in the chess scene in harry potter he didn't get credited for it really which i think is kind of uh it's bull honkety that is kind of cronkety i'm glad you found it i'm glad that we're finally putting this to rest his yeah. legacy yeah jeremy jeremy Soman. you deserve a little we see you i got eyes on you Another movie that has chess in it is X-Men. Yes. The last scene is uh, a chess scene, and it was analyzed in an article on 538.com by chess grandmaster Robert Hess, and he describes it as a, as a really great game. It's actually based off of, I believe it's based off of a historical game that actually happened, and it's sort of an interesting game because... The black player, Professor Xavier, has a heavy material disadvantage, which means that he has fewer pieces, like uh, more of his pieces have been captured. But black can still win with like a really clever set of moves, and that's what he does in the movie. So it's sort of a cool little symbolic undertone of Xavier 
being outstrengthed in sort of a way, but being able to cleverly get his way. It's it's just a cool little scene. Wow, yeah, that's uh, that's akin to the symbolism in the 2001 Space Odyssey game. I like to see chess being used in such a uh, intentional way. Yeah, it's it nice. Is, there is another movie that features chess that is called The Seventh Seal. Yes, and this is in which a crusade knight plays against death or the plague. Very nice. Austin, yes. I'm totally impressed by that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Seymour so, Bergman, I, uh, my last roommate, Dan. Hashtag uh, listeners, if, yeah, hashtag who's Dan, was a big uh, Ingmar Bergman fan. Okay. And so at some point we watched The Seventh Seal together. Well, and that, that knowledge is paying off with dividends. It uh, really is. Yeah, I was I was going to give a little plot synopsis, but you nailed it. Yeah, he's he's a crusader returning to... Uh, well, here's here's a question. Do you know what country he was returning to? Ooh, I do know. Just give me a second. Talk amongst yourselves, you and you and your puppy. Uh, oh, gosh. If it helps, I believe it's also Ingmar Bergman's country of origin. Oh, yeah. It's Sweden, right? It, it surely is. Okay. Yes, he, re- he returns from the Crusades to Sweden and finds that his country has been ravaged by the plague. Uh, and as you say, he plays a game of chess against death. And I'm very impressed that you knew that. Oh, thank you. Do you know, can you name the country that was least affected by, uh, by the Great Plague? Oof. You European and I country? have talked about this. Indeed. When you hosted your Black Plague-themed... Halloween party. Yes, hashtag, indeed. Hashtag who is the Halloween party. Hashtag what is Halloween. Hashtag yes. what is Halloween. Hashtag what is the party. <laughs> hashtag what is the Black Plague. I believe it was Poland. It was Poland. You're right. And uh, yes. Can you remind me why that is? Well, uh, some scholars believe that it's a combination of two things. Number one, a, a kind of prescient knowledge of how contagions worked. Not. Uh, it was. It was based on... I guess not the actual science, but uh, kind of the effects of how contagions look to them. Uh, and they stumbled upon a good strategy where if someone would come from outside of the country bearing news about the plague, they would uh, put him up in a room outside of the city or outside of the city walls for like, I think, seven days before they would let him come and deliver the message. Very cool. So sort of a, um, a rudimentary quarantine. Yeah, rudimentary quarantine. And the one that is more fascinating, and I'm not sure how true this is, but I've, I've read it in a couple sources, is that the particular strand of Christianity, both uh, Orthodox and Catholic, uh, the Polish strains of those religious traditions uh, were not suspicious of cats. Oh, so higher cat, higher cat population, lower giant gerbil slash rat population, yeah. fewer fleas, and plague didn't spread as fast if that is true that is a very interesting fact you know i want to believe it's true but that's kind of one of those things where like you know ten thousand years from now an archaeologist digs up a doritos wrapper and says oh these were used to kind of insulate people from from the cold they had this reflective inner surface that would uh that would kind of keep them warm you know in in the ice age of the of the 2000s uh it could be just all speculative and all just based on not much at all. So I don't know. That was a long route 
to get to the word speculation. Yeah, uh, you're right. Let's uh, <laughs> let's truncate that. <laughs> you know, Austin, it's fun to have specific examples. So I'm, I really appreciate the time and effort you put into that. Thank you. Um, Austin, can you name a movie that parodied the movie The Seventh Seal, and in particular the games with death? Have any hints for me? I do. It is a sequel, and to give you sort of a to give you an era in which this film would have been taking place, the games that they play with death are Battleship, Clue, Electric Football, and <laughs> Twister. Oh man, I, I have no. Oh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You are so unbelievably good at oh. cultural trivia, Austin. Oh. It is just a pleasure to work with you. Oh, Tony. Yes. Cease uh, and desist. You are absolutely correct. It's uh, the 91 sci-fi comedy Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. They defeat death in those games, and he, uh, yeah, he concedes defeat. To defeat. Well, you gave me a smashing clue for that one, so um, oh, awesome. I appreciate it. Not only yeah. was that a compliment, but it was a great callback to our discussion about the word smashing. Callback. The last category, Austin, is other games besides chess that have been played by kings. So, as you may recall, the theme of the episode is the king's game, and we have been focusing on chess. However, let us focus on other games. Let's. The Sacramento Kings, little NBA team, playing a game tonight against the Celtics. There's also the LA Kings. NHL team played a game yesterday and beat the Arizona Coyotes four to three. Wow! Yeah. There's the Latin. There's the Latin Kings. There's the Latin Kings. They kind of just fight everyone. Yes. They, yeah. They're not. They. They don't play games. They win games. They. Yeah. So I meant to say that in a more threatening way. Like they oh, don't we don't play. play we don't play games. We don't play games. Yeah. Put that shit away, Grandma. I'm not gonna play oh. Moncala with you. I'm a Latin King. There is also the sport of Kings. Do you know what the sport of kings is? Golf? It, that is not correct. It Polo. Is, here's Oh, Austin, you you are so good you didn't even let me say my clue. <gasps> what was your clue? Can, can I retroactively say my clue? Yes, please. I my retract clue my was statement. That the sport of kings must be played right-handed. Hmm. For the safety of the human players and the horse players alike. Uh, I have two more kings. I'm going to say their favorite <laughs> games or certainly games that they liked cuz you know, they're kings from a long time ago, so I don't know what their favorite game is, Austin. I don't know. But I know what games they played. I'm going to name the game, and I want you to name me which king liked this game. Oh, ready? gosh. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I guess. I'm ready as I'll ever be. The game is Senate. That is spelled S-E-N-E-T. Senate. That sounds Egyptian? Oh, oh. Now just start rattling King off Tyler. Egyptian. You, Austin, a mere, a mere 30 seconds ago, you were doubting yourself. Wow. Here you are now on the other side. Do you wish Hello you could go back in time and smack side. your stupid past self in the face? And, you know, that's been my third. I'm, I'm a real doubting, uh, a real doubting Thomas. That's my third time that I've gotten it right and uh, been very doubtful about it. You've, you've really blown me away. Yes. King Tutankhamun is buried with four 
different boards of Senet or Senate or Senate or however it's pronounced. The Beautiful. next game is called Maw. That's M A W. We used to play a game called, uh, I think we pronounced it Mao, which only based on that makes me makes me my first gut reaction to be it, it's a Chinese game. Yeah. So um, uh, <laughs> it, perhaps as a as a hint, it, it is not a Chinese game. However, when I searched Maw card game, it, it Google tried to autocorrect me to Mao card game, and I had to say no, Google, no, I want Maw card game. Maw. Yes. I want more. Give me more. Okay, do you have any hints for me? I will give you some hints. As I said, it is a card game, and it does use the standard uh, playing card deck, uh, 52 cards. It is, from what I can tell of the rules, it's somewhat similar to Euchre. Well, Euchre is a Midwestern game, so I'm going to say it's either uh, Budweiser, the King of Beers, or Burger King. (laughs) The Burger Burger King. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, Final answer. I deeply and with all of my heart wish that that were the case. However, on on the topic of Midwestern people playing card games, and this, again, Austin, is this is going to be a clue that requires a little bit of exposition, but let's, let's do it. So, Austin, some religious people are averse to playing card games because right. they associate cards with gambling, gambling and other, or such, with other such sinful activities. Sure, sure, sure. It may surprise you then to learn that the king, whose favorite game was Maw, is intimately associated with the Bible. Intimately? Oh, that's a great clue, Tony. Thank you. It, uh, it, that, that's one of those clues that doesn't... If I got it wrong, I, I'd be doing my job badly. It kind of leads me to the answer, but it was about the journey. You told yeah, a story. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Which I really appreciate. So... uh in light of that, I'm going to say King Louis from the Jungle Book. You son of a bitch. King James. Yes. Yes, King James I, famous for funding the translation of the Bible, also famous for presiding over the gunpowder plot. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that was King James I. Yeah, I think it is. Um, there have been a lot of King Jameses, but uh, I, I'll just I'll sort of I'll put that fact out there and let people sort of chew on it and decide for themselves if it's true or not. Chew on it, readers. Uh, tweet, tweet at us. Tell us your favorite James. Yes, that's all I've got by way of the King's game. Wow, you dug up some gold, some kings, some some great questions, some great content. As much as I would like to take MVP of the game today. For the content that I dug up, I think you got to get MVP, dude. Ugh. You pulled out some huge, huge guesses. Say it ain't so. You know, I'll take it. I'll take it. Congratulations. You're episode three's MVP. I couldn't have wished for anything else. And uh, a guesser is only as good as his, his asker. So I'm not going to share my award with you. No, but I, I will give you a tip. You I will give you a tip of the hat. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And as always, the beautiful, beautiful music that you hear at the beginning and that you will hear at the end of this episode is brought to us by the one and only Jude Schuma uh, on the topic of the Bible. Jude is, I believe, the second to last book of the Bible. 
here, here, get ready for this. Jude Chuma is second to none in terms Ooh. of music making capacity. As such, you should check him out online and basically wherever a person goes to find music, you should try to find his music. He's on Spotify. He is. Uh, a lot of his songs are on Spotify. I think he's on Apple Music. Um, he's on Google Music. It's great stuff. And here's a little treat, listeners, is that uh, the song that we use, Oh What Beautiful, is not on Spotify. You can only hear it by going to see a live show or buying some of his merch or listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Although on the show, you only get the first few seconds and the last few seconds. So you have to, right. sort of, you have to pretend like all of our talking in the middle is, is part of the song. Right, and really all our episodes are kind of just a, a very in-depth unpacking of Jude's lyrics. Right. So it makes sense. And I do sort of view our, 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 our talking with each other as a form of music, as a form of mm. song. And sort of the same way that people, sort of, some people sometimes refer to sporting events as, like a, as, a, as sort of an elaborate dance. Mm-hmm. I view our, our conversations here as sort of an elaborate song because, because of the way in which it is art. Yes. Great. Austin, thanks so much for talking. And once again, audience, thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.